What is good, beautiful people? Good to see you guys. Welcome to Sunday service. My name is Tony. You guys can call me PT. I'm pastor here. I'm very happy today. I'm going to tell you why I'm so happy today. I saw a youth group kid. Um, his name is uh, Thomas, little boy, right? Age's little brother. And he was wearing baggy pants and a baggy shirt. And his hair was split down the middle. And you know what I said? I said, it's back. I've waited 25 years for this. My style is back, right? So I'm very happy. I'm going to bust out my, uh, my, my wardrobe. I'm going to bring it back, guys. Right? All you guys with your baggy pants and your uh, overalls. Let's, uh, let's do a 90s theme day here at TLC. <laughs> hey, I'm glad you guys are here. I'm um, glad to be here to have a good word for you. Um, I don't know where you've come from. I don't know where you're at. But I know that God's word is uh, exactly what you need this morning. So we are going through a series called The Transformative Power of Jesus. The Transformative Power of Jesus. And this series was a continuation off of last series, which was the series on, on, on uh, what the life of a disciple. What does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus? And we wanted to kind of add on to this because if, if this is the life of a disciple of Jesus, then what should result in a life like this, is a life of transformation. We really believe that God wants to transform your life. He re- not just transform your physical um, conditions or circumstances, but we really believe that God wants to shape your character, shape your temperament, to really transform you from the inside out, to change your inclination, to, give you what, to, to show you what is valuable, to open your eyes, to see something bigger than what you've been chasing after your whole life. And the series is really uh, developed for that purpose, right? And so, so far, what we've seen in the book of Matthew, uh, Matthew is one of Jesus' disciples. He, he's writing to a, a, an audience of Jewish people, okay, who he's trying to convince that Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the Savior you've been waiting for. Jesus is God. And he, so far after the Sermon on the Mount, he's done a master class in what this thing called abductive reasoning, right? Abductive reasoning. Now, some of you guys are thinking, what's that, okay? A famous way of abductive reasoning is this. If it quacks like a duck, if it waddles like a duck, if it swims like a duck, it must be a pig. Right? You're like, what? Exactly, right? That's exactly what Jesus was feeling as we culminate into this, um, this, this portion of uh, this letter here, this, 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 um, this narrative. Up to this point, Matthew has been clearly pointing out these characteristics that defines and pushes people to recognize who Jesus must be. Jesus went off and he healed physically three groups of people. He healed a leper. He went off and he healed a centurion slave. He went off and he healed Peter's mother-in-law and a bunch of other people. And so what, what Matthew was writing is, at first he's saying, look, one of the characteristics of Jesus is that he has power over the physical body of man. He has power over sickness and health and death and deterioration and decay. That's Jesus' power. But it doesn't stop there because the next characteristics that Matthew shared was that Jesus took his disciples and went across the lake and there was a huge storm. Remember that huge storm? And that storm came up and then everyone was freaking out. Everyone's thinking like, we're going to die. Jesus stood up and then he calms and rebukes the storm. 
And what Matthew was saying is that Jesus here has power over nature itself. He has power over the natural elements of this earth. And then when they got to the other side of the lake, we read that Jesus came in there, saw two people who were demon-possessed, who were just out of their mind, mentally disturbed. And what did he do? He cast out a demon, cast out the demons in them, cast out the spirit that was, that was messing with them. And what, again, Matthew was saying is one of the characteristics of Jesus is that he has power over the spiritual realm. You guys follow me? If he has power over the physical realm, if he has power over the natural elements, if he has power over the spiritual elements, it must lead to some sort of conclusion here. And it culminates in this passage we're about to read about what Jesus is trying to say about who he is. And, and, and the answer that I want to give to you today is that Jesus is telling these people, I am God. I am God. And he does this with one humongous act here. What does he do? He forgives sin. Okay? One of the last characteristics of God that he is going to portray and show and present as power is that he can forgive sins. How does he do that, PT? I'll show you, right? So here it is. This is a master class in the adaptive reasoning, laying out all these characteristics to point you to one conclusion, one conclusion only, that Jesus is God. And we're going to see something. We're going to see how he does that, which is through forgiving sins, but we're going to see the response of the people here, okay? We're going to see the response. That's what I really want you guys to hone in on is the response, And to take that home with us. So open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 9. We're going to read from verse 1 to 8. 1 to 8. The culmination of the characteristics of Jesus leading to one conclusion only. I am God. So Jesus stepped into a boat, crossed over and came to his own town. Some men brought to him a paralytic lying on a mat. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. At this, some of the teachers of the law said to themselves, This fellow is blaspheming. Knowing their thoughts, Jesus said, Why do you entertain evil thoughts in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Get up and walk. But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sin. Then he said to the paralytic, Get up, take your mat, and go home. And the man got up and went home. And when the crowd saw this, they were filled with awe, and they praised God who had had given such authority to men. All right. There's a culmination of this passage. Again, it's it's delivering another characteristic for you to see. He can can heal physical body. He has control over the elements. This This is Matthew retelling these situations that happened as a real doctor, as real life situations, right? He's retelling these stories, which he's seen and was a part of. Here he is, he says that Jesus was able to heal, was able to have control over nature, was able to even have control over the spiritual elements of the human spirit. Now he's telling us that he can forgive sin, okay? Think about this. This man, this man, paralyzed, cannot walk. Back in those days, 
what people usually do is this. They, they, would, they, would, they would correlate that if you had some sort of disease or something bad happened to you, it must be because you were a sinful person. You've done something wrong against God, and therefore this is your karma, right? You've done something wrong against God, therefore you're being punished for it. You've done something bad, and this is your result of your life, okay? This is what you're stuck with. Now here's the thing. Jesus didn't come to this guy and the first thing he said was, let me heal you. He healed a lot of people, but he never said, let me forgive your sins. He started with the statement of, your sins are forgiven. Why? Why did he say that? Why did he start that with your sins are forgiven instead of thinking, let me just heal you? See, the paralyzed man is coming thinking to himself, I'm going to be healed. Hopefully, maybe. My friends think I can, right? But he says first, your sins are forgiven. Why? Because Jesus was getting to the heart of the issue. He was getting to the heart of what this man was really struggling with. See, his friends understood this heart. His friends had that faith, and that's why their faith was so beautiful to Jesus. His friends knew that it is because of the brokenness, what we call sin, this rebellion against God, that has deteriorated our life, that has brought decay, death, destruction, hurt, sickness, pain into this world. This world was never meant to be like that. My friend was not meant to be paralyzed. His life was not meant to struggle in such a way. He should not be in this condition. They knew that. They believed that there was something more. They understood that God made humanity to thrive, to flourish, to continue. And so they said, you know what? Jesus has some sort of authority. Let's bring our friend to him. Because they have the faith to understand this is not how life should be. And so when Jesus saw this man, he could have easily said, well, if you were this man, you would ask Jesus, or you would just hopefully just heal my leg. But Jesus gave him something even better. Jesus said to him, your sins were forgiven. Do you know why that's better for this guy? Because Jesus knew his heart. Have you guys ever been told something your whole life? Uh, for a lot of young brothers, we call it father wounds. Have you ever been told something your whole life that you end up believing so deeply that you live your whole life in contrast to it or in submission to it? You know what I'm talking about? If you've been told that you are worthless your whole life, you would do everything possible to fight against that or you truly believe it. And every time a situation that comes into your life that makes you feel like you're worthless Right? It triggers all these emotions again. It triggers all your reactions again. It makes you go and fight for more things. Make you go and become a little bit more of a punk. It makes you go and uh, be more ambitious. You're just trying to say, I, you're just trying to prove that I'm not worthless. Or, what if, you, if you've been told you were ugly, you end up believing that you're ugly. Someone told you that enough times in your life and you actually believe it. So no matter what happens, you just believe that you're ugly. Right? And so here's this man paralyzed and the majority of his life he was told it's probably because you're a sinner it's probably because you've wronged god it's probably because you're not good it's probably because you're a bad person it's probably because you're not worth it it's probably because this is your life situation and his whole life buying into that lie has created such a wound in his heart that he gave into it that he believed it that he understood it and so the moment jesus saw him Jesus didn't go straight into, your, uh, I'm going to heal you. Jesus spoke to his deepest heart need, which is what? Let me affirm you. Your sins are forgiven. 
If you feel worthless and valueless and someone that you deem as really awesome comes to you and tells you you're awesome, you're worthy, what does that do to you? If, if you deem yourself as ugly, as incompetent, as foolish, and someone comes to you and tells you you're beautiful, you're great, you're wonderful, you're capable, what does that do to you? It transforms you. It changes you. It stirs in your heart an affection and a strength and a conviction. Maybe you're not this way. Maybe you're not this person that everyone tells you you are. Right? Right? Pastor's confession. You know one of my, one of my biggest fears besides my kid not knowing Jesus Christ, right? One of my biggest fears was not, was not making it, right? It's not finishing well as a pastor. Like, I, I felt to myself when I was, when I was a, going to seminary, you know, giving up on med school, going to seminary, I really felt like if I don't make it, if I don't make it, like, I've wasted my whole life. Like, I, I don't know if I can make it. And I remember I was doing this paper, and I brought it into my professor to kind of read it over and kind of, ch- and kind of give me some pointers on what I'm supposed to do. And it was, just, it was just to, I was trying to get him to acknowledge that the paper was good, even though I know I'm a horrible writer, right? But I was just like, please just say something nice about it, right? Just to make me feel like, you know, I, I'm, I'm on the right track, at least as a pastor. And as he's reading it, you know, I was just sitting there, just listening, and he's just kind of talking, making small talk. And he looked at me and said, I, I, want, I have something I have to say to you. And this is a really godly, holy man, right? I mean, Homeboy memorized, like, I think he memorized the whole entire Bible. Like, he can, everything he says is just, he's just quoting scripture. And he doesn't even have, like, it in this, on this, on his, um, on this thing. We, 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 uh, during one of his lessons, I remember, he was just constantly quoting scripture. We thought, like, oh, maybe he's reading it from his, uh, his thing, right? So after class, I walked up, I was like, there was nothing on the podium. It was just a blank piece of paper. I'm like, dude, where are you quoting all this Bible from, right? It's from his head. But anyways, he, he's a really godly man. I really respected this guy. And he said, Peter, I mean, Tony, he has something to say to you. I said, what? You're going to finish well. I just wanted to tell you that. You're going to finish well. And he says, like, this class? Like, I'm going to get in this class? He's like, no, no, no. You're going to finish well in your pursuit to follow Jesus Christ as a pastor. And I was like, how'd you know that, right? How'd you know that was like my, my, like my main fear being in seminary? He's like, I just had a word. I just wanted to share that with you. See, his whole life, this paralyzed man bought into the lie that he was a nobody, that he was not good enough. That's why he's being punished for his sin. And Jesus comes in and he hits the root of the issue. Jesus comes in. He doesn't just deal with the outside. Because that's sometimes what I think some of you guys think Jesus is. He's just here to fix your circumstances. You think that Jesus is here just to fix what's going on around you. My job is not great, God. Give me a better job. My marriage is not great, God. Fix my wife. Fix my husband. My, my children aren't awesome. Fix my children. We're thinking that God is there to fix your personal circumstances. I can't afford this car, God. Help me get a better job. Give me, make me, help me get some more money. Right? I need to blah, 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 fill in the blank. And you think that Jesus is there to provide for those things for you. But Jesus is saying, no, no, no. I'm here to deal with the deeper, more rooted issue. And the deeper, more rooted issue is that there is an, there's a situation in your heart called sin that you have not dealt with. And the sin in your life is this rebellion against me that you have not actually dealt with and worked with, and this thing has manifested itself in every possible area of your life. You're chasing after, 
your finances, sex, money, power, joy, whatever it is. You're chasing after these things for your worth, for your value, for your glory, for your purpose. And I'm telling you, those things are going to kill you. So Jesus approaches and he deals with the deeper rooted issue. The issue is sin. The question I want to start with to ask you is, have you really had a good conversation about your sin? I mean, if Jesus came up to you and you're like, oh, man, me and Jesus for the first time, I'm going to ask him to do something. I'm really going to need him to do this for me, pull through for me, right? And the first thing Jesus says to you is your sins are forgiven. And you'll be like, what? Yeah, that's great. That's great. I'm, I'm glad. I'm glad. But I really need a new job, right? Like I've been stuck on this kind of, I need a career. I don't need a job. I need an actual career. God, is it your sins are forgiven? Oh, that's great. That's great. That's great. But I need a husband. I need a wife. I am lonely. Right? Oh, your sins are forgiven. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome, God. But I, 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 need, I need to pass this or I need to do this. How many of us would respond that way? And do you know why you respond that way? Do you know why that is the reflex of your heart? It's because you do not know. You do not know the depth of what sin is in your life. We don't know sin like a fish don't know it's wet. Right? We were born in a fallen world. We were raised with this ignorance of the reality of God. The Bible says we drink, we drink our iniquities like water. We treat God like he was Santa or some wise old grandpa that just is a buffoon because you just kind of laugh at him. And he's just like, you do something stupid. He's like, ha ha, that's okay. You're still cute. We think of him like that rather than the God that he is. We don't understand that he is Lord of Lords, King of Kings. We talk, about, we talk about how, in our society, we talk about how man sins against man, how culture sins against culture, how racism against racism. We, we're, we're upset about that. Heck, we're even upset about how we sin against nature, how we're doing everything to pollute our climate, and, uh, uh, mess things up around us, right? But we don't realize that sin is ultimately our rebellion against God. It's our saying, my will be done, not your will be done, God. I know what's best. You don't know what's best. I can control what I think is right. You, your idea of right and wrong, that's too archaic. That's too old school. Why is sin so terrible? Because it's committed against God. Why is it that we don't tremble at the idea? Because we don't know what that means. And why don't we know what that means? It's because we don't know who God is. Do you realize that when God made the heavens, he placed the stars in their fixed position and he tells them to shine and they sing for him? Do you know that when he made creation, he tells the planet the rhythm and the flow of which they are to go and they worship him? Do you know that he makes mountains high, valley low? He tells the ocean to go no further and they obey him. But did you know that when he speaks to you and he calls you his creation, his highest of his creation, and he tells you to obey, you scream, no. You scream, I know better. I am in control. I have. And you close your ears like a child throwing a tantrum, not listening to the words of the one who has made all things. We were born with the inheritance and the legacy of sin. You don't need to teach this. You guys realize that? I don't need to teach this to my child. My child knows it naturally. The other day, I'll tell you this story. The other day, I buy, I buy Enoch cookies um, when I uh, pick them up all the time, right? Uh, we go to Starbucks. It's like our rhythm. I, I get an ice grande americano, and he gets 
three Madeline cookies, right? It's, it's like we, we order it so consistently that the barista knows. Before I drive up and I said, can I get an ice grande Americano? She's like, and three Madeline cookies? Is that you? I was like, yeah, it's me, right? You know, I gave it to him. And, you know, and so we're picking up Seth, and I told, you know, hey, make sure you share cookies with your brother, right? And so he said, okay, daddy. And so I was like, cool, right? Seth comes in, and he's already eating one. He gobbles up one already, you know? So he's eating like half of the other one. And Seth comes in and says, oh, cookie, can I have some, Enoch? And I'm thinking he's going to give, Enoch was going to give him the, the full one that's still there to Seth. But Enoch looked at it. He looked at the one he was eating and looked at the one in the package. He was like, right? And I was like, no, right? I was like, give your brother the new one. And then Enoch, Seth was like, you know, Seth being Seth was like, oh, no, it's okay, daddy. He's like, no, wait, Enoch, give your brother the new cookie. And he was like, but it's mine, right? I said, no, you already had one. The other one, give your brother the, 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 the new one. And he says, Daddy, no. I'm like, what do you mean no? Do you want to, what's wrong with you? I, didn't, I never taught him that. I never taught him to value something more than the other. You, you know that? I, I, I mean, I'm thinking mom taught him that, right? Right, this shit, home, right? Home that, right? You know, we never taught him that. But somewhere in his mind, he knew naturally what? That I want this. And I'm willing to be selfish about it and give the leftovers to my brother. That's a natural thing, right? Now imagine 10 years of that without discipline and without training. What monster that would become, right? How that culminates more. Right now we're just laughing because it's cute because it's about cookie, right? Imagine what would happen. I got another example. Went to Arizona. I think Penguin was with me. I took a... a him over to one of this house of this, uh, this girl that I've been um, ministering to for a long time she, she, since she was in high school. She has three boys, different fathers, all dads are um, not, in the, not in the picture, right? And she's not a very good disciplinarian at all, okay? Three boys. I'm like, you know, I'm, I, I've raised kids, so I know how to at least control their temperaments. Right? I, I call Penguin in and say, Penguin, I need you to watch them while we cl- I clean here, go outside and clean there, right? And then, you know, just... You know, imagine them as CM's kids. Hang out with them, you know? And I'm, 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 we're cleaning inside, and I see Penguin come in. And, you know, Penguin has that look. When he has that look, you know, like, something's going on, right? And I was like, and I was like what's wrong? He's like, they literally just sprayed me with water. I'm like, okay, man, this is kids, bro. Like, no, man. Like, I told him to stop, and they sprayed it even more. I'm like, yeah, that happens, right? And then he walked out, and he started throwing dirt at him. And he was like, I was like, whoa. You know, so I was... After, I felt kind of bad, but a part of me was thinking, like, dude, they didn't have a father. They had no discipline in their life. They had no one to, treat, to, 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 to lay down what's right and what's wrong. Right? And that's the culmination. And they were only, like, five and six. That's the culmination of sin in the life of a person. Now, imagine that without discipline in your life. And here's the thing. That is our natural state, but we don't realize that the only one who can change that is Jesus. The only one who has the power to make any type of reconstruction, transformation is Jesus. So instead of actually turning to Jesus, we turn to everything else that we think would fix our character, fix our trajectory, and make us happy. We turn to our work, we turn to our money, we turn to our health, we turn to our family, we turn to our children, we turn to our bank accounts, we turn to, you fill in the blank, you turn to these things to make you feel 
connected. For this paralyzed man, it was his health. He thought, if I can get my legs back, everything would be great. But his deepest need was the forgiveness of his sin. And Jesus knew that. And Jesus spoke that into his life. So how, I know you guys thinking, how did how how you, how you get all that from that verse? Because later on, the, the, the teacher of the law, they said, man, this guy is blaspheming. How dare he says he can forgive sins? And Jesus said in verse 4, knowing their thoughts. Jesus knows what's going on. He knows the heart of what's happening in your life. He knows what you're chasing after. He knows what's, what's stirring in your mind. He knows what is your actual idol and what you worship. He knows those things. And he says the solution of it is not just fixing your circumstance. The solution of it is fixing the deeper issue. There is a rebellion between you and me. We must make peace here. All have sinned, the Bible says, and no one is righteous. So you guys following me so far? So Jesus is culminating in this picture. He's trying to tell, he, in the way Matthew is writing it, he's trying to tell them, look, everybody, I am God. I am God. No ifs, ands, or but every characteristic that I am portraying to you, I am God. If, I, if it quacks like a duck, if it waddles like a duck, if it swims like a duck, it must be a duck. If I can heal the physical body, if I can control nature, if I can deal with spirituality, if I can forgive sin, I am God. And so what does Jesus do? He shows that he can forgive sins. How does he do that? How does he go and show that he can forgive sin? Look at this. Knowing their thoughts, Jesus says, why do you entertain evil thoughts in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk? Which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven or get up and walk. Both are impossible to say unless you're God, right? But one, you can lie, isn't it? One, you can make up, right? You see cult leaders, your sins are forgiven, my son, right? Woo, right? You see charismatic leaders, whoosh, right? Everything's cleared up. You can say it. How would you know? How can you verify it? How can you know it's true? You can't. Right? But you can lie about it. But Jesus said what? Which one is easy to say? Your sins are forgiven or get up and walk. Both are very impossible to do. Unless you are. Unless you're God. And so Jesus says, get up and walk. So this is the moment right here. If that boy didn't get up and walk, then the former thing he said would make no sense, right? He would have no authority over what he just said originally. Your sins are forgiven. But when he said, get up and walk. And the guy, the Bible says, did what? The man got up, went home. Right? Take, uh, went home, and the crowd was filled with awe. The man got up, he took his mat, and he walked. And so the, the, the conclusion that you were supposed to get from this reasoning is, if I can get this man to get up and walk, then the original thing I said was what? Your sins are forgiven is also a reality. If I told this man to get up and walk and he didn't get up and walk, then yeah, you can totally say I'm a liar, I'm a blasphemer, I'm just making things up. But I said this man can get up and walk. He got up as recorded. He walked out of the house. And so the indication was to what? Was to show all those people, I can't forgive sins. Do you know why Jesus was so harsh on the Pharisees? Do you know why he's so harsh on the religious people? Because they should know better. 
You get me? They know the Old Testament. And in the Old Scripture, the Messiah was to come. And when he comes, he will free the bondage of the sins, the brokenness. He will make lame men walk, blind men see. He will reverse the natural order of things. When they saw and they hear the testimony of what Jesus has been doing, their natural answer should have been, this guy is God. But even though they saw that, what was their response to Jesus? What was their response to him? This guy is a lunatic. He's a blasphemer. This guy is a cult leader. This guy is not real. They did not recognize or acknowledge that Jesus is God. You guys follow me? But here's the worst part. Here's the worst part. Look at verse 8. And when the crowd saw this, they were filled with awe, and they praised God who had given, who had, who had given such authority to men. Jesus said, I am the son of man, which is the title of Messiah, savior of the world, the, the, the messianic title of Jewish people, saying that I have come to save the world. And the response of the people was, they didn't say, oh, wow, you're God. Their response was, wow, how can God give such authority to men? They still couldn't see it. They still couldn't acknowledge it. They still couldn't realize it. The culmination of this passage is one conclusion. The conclusion is this. Jesus is telling them, and Matthew is telling the people who are reading it, Jesus is God. He has the power to forgive sin. He has the power to heal the human body. He has the power over the natural elements of this world. He has the power over the spiritual elements of this world. The only thing left he has to prove is what? I have the power over death itself. That's the last thing he has to prove, right? And did he do that? Yes, he did. On the cross. On the cross, his resurrection, he died and he came back. And that was the final, basically, nail in the coffin saying, if you don't get it by now, if you don't accept this by now, if you don't see this by now, you're not going to get it. I am who I say I am. I am God. So here's the question for you. If Jesus is God, how are you going to respond? For all of us who are in the church a long time, who knows the word, who kind of read it, Sunday school youth group, who knows this, how are you going to respond? Because there's only two possible ways to respond here. One, you totally reject them, which is integrity, by the way. At least you know it and you choose to reject. That is intellectual integrity at its best. Or two, you bow down, you worship, and you bend your will to him. There's only two ways to respond. But most of the time, most of the time, we do this lip service in community and churches. We acknowledge with our lips that God is God, but in our hearts, he is not there. In our hearts, we do not bend our will to him. We give lip service to who he is, but our heart worship is to something else. My question to you today is very simple. If Jesus is God, are you going to respond like the Pharisees and not acknowledge the reality of it? Are you going to respond like the people and not understand what you're looking at? If Jesus is God, how are you going to respond? How are you going to acknowledge that he is God of your life? Husbands, most, most of you guys, I married you, right? Remember what I said in, in, in the marriage counseling? There's three things. 
As a husband, you're supposed to do for your wife to honor God, to bring flourishing, to carry out your role? Are you a man who is loving your wife without condition? Are you someone who's providing not just money, but energy and time? Don't think just because you work 12 hours a week and you bring home a huge paycheck that your wife feels loved because of that. It could be she just needs your time and your energy. Brothers, are you, are you someone who's creating a spiritual atmosphere in your home? Right? Do people, when people walk into your home, do they know that this place is a place that honors God, that centers God first? Does your wife and your children recognize that in their life? They don't have to be, I'm not talking about perfection. I'm not talking about you guys sitting around in a campfire and sing Kumbaya every single night, right? But I'm talking to the natural rhythm of your life. Does it give God the credence that he deserves? Because how do you honor God? How do you recognize God as God? That you carry out the role he has given to you to carry out. You say, God, if this is your will for me, then I will bend my will to you. If this is your will for me as a husband, then I will bend my will to you as a man. About you singles, right? Looking for a job in your career, in your path, right? If God is God, how are you acknowledging God in that journey of your life? Is your main aim still just about getting that amazing check at the end of the month? Or is there a purpose to say, God, why did you place me here? What good am I supposed to be doing here? What need am I fulfilling? How am I living it out where your glory and your presence and your name is known? Maybe sometimes God wants you to take a lower paying job so that you would actually fulfill more purpose, do more good, for the world around you, for your neighbors, your community, than simply just seeking for your own personal happiness. How are you guys doing? Dating couples in your relationships. Are you bending your will to God's will when it comes to your relationship? Are you doing your best so that your love abounds more and more so that you may be able to discern knowledge and depth of insight, knowing what is best to do in your relationship rather than just going through the motion of it? How, listen church, Jesus is simply saying this, I am God. The scripture is pointing to these characteristics. If it walks like a duck, if it quacks like a duck, if it waddles like a duck, it must be a duck. If he has power over the physical, if he has power over the spiritual, if he has power over nature, if he has power over sin, then this person is God. How are you responding to him? How are you responding to him? My prayer and my hope is that we be a people that bends our will to God. Let us be a people like that. Let us be a community. Let us be a body. Let us be brothers and sisters who instead of crying out always, my will be done, but that we would seek to say, God, your will be done. That we would encourage each other to seek for God's 
heart before we seek for our personal happiness. Of course you want them to be happy, but sometimes your personal happiness, what you think is personal happiness, is always fleeting and short. That's why we need community to help speak those truths into our lives. You want it so badly. It fits so right. You even would bring Jesus into it. That's fine. You can bring Jesus into it, but the question is, is Jesus really there? Let us be a community, right? That seeks to not serve ourselves, but to serve God and to serve his people. Not a self-seeking community, but a community that is selfless. Not for any accolades or value or worth because I help people, but simply because you know what? You know your worth already. Your worth is not how big your bank account is. Your worth is not how great your job is. Your worth is not how wonderful your marriage is. Your worth is not how many kids you have. Your worth is not what kind of clothes you wear. Your worth and your identity is because Jesus has died for you. And he has called you his son, his daughter. Your worth is because of who he says you are. Everything else is fleeting. And so you serve because you know your worth. You give because you know your worth already. You work in a maybe piss poor job because you know your worth. But you know that you're there to do good and you can do good. Do you know your worth? Do you know who Jesus is? Because the Pharisees didn't. And they're the one who study scripture all the time. That's a huge rebuke to a lot of us leaders, isn't it? We talk about how much we know Jesus and yet he shows up and we do not bend our will and acknowledge his reign. The people didn't know Jesus, even though they saw real lives change before them. Do you know why we share testimonies all the time? So you can see how God actually changes people's lives. And upon seeing that, you're like, wow, who is God? Jesus is saying, I am God. I have the power over sin and death. I have the power over the physical and natural realms and the spiritual realm. I am the one who has power over all of it. Acknowledge me as God. Church, let's be that church. Let's not give lip service to our Father. Let's not give lip service to our King. But let's bend our will to His, even if it's hard for us. Let's pray.